0: Welcome to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who want to live and lead their
1: lives differently
0: and explore topics relevant to all areas of their life.
1: Welcome to Reframe Your Life. Today is a sequel to a previous episode where Joanne interviewed me. Today I'm turning the tables on Joanne and asking her some questions. How are you, Joanne?
0: I'm a little bit scared, Sandy.
1: <laughs> you, should <be. laughs> you should be. It's okay.
0: In one hand, I have wine. In the other hand, I have chocolate. I'm what g- could possibly go wrong?
1: I'm glad you're prepared. In fact, <laughs> I think we should maybe make that something we do. We give all our guests chocolate and wine before we interview them. Yes. <laughs> this is going to be fun. <laughs> she-
0: The size of her smile, and those of you who have been listening for a while know she just likes to add in these questions.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna warm you up, I'm gonna ask you some questions just to help you get comfortable with the interview. Okay, so they're just I'm gonna give you two words, and you just pick one, and that's it. You don't have to explain or anything. Okay,
0: okay? so is that telling me not to explain (laughs) exactly?
1: Okay, leather or lace. Place. City or country? Country. Fighter or lover? Lover. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I know.
0: <laughs> well, I think I'm still on city or country. I want to say country but city wardrobe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, singing or dancing? Dancing. Beyonce or Adele?
0: Oh, jeez, Adele.
1: Okay. See, that wasn't hard. (laughs) That was probably, you know, the hardest part of the whole interview. It's just going to get easier now. Okay. So I know you, and I could answer this question pretty easily, And uh, but I think it would be good for our listeners to hear how you would describe yourself. So what five words would you say best describe you?
0: Uh, I'm going to say, so just the words. Yeah,
1: you don't have to explain why you chose them.
0: Courageous, connector, athletic, uh, warm, and fun is sitting in my head, but I don't feel very fun at the moment because there's a lot going on. But, um, yeah, I'll go with fun.
1: Okay. (laughs) I would describe you with, I would use those words to describe you (laughs) as well. I think those are good descriptors. Well done. Okay, you asked me this question and I loved it, so I'm gonna ask you it as well. What was your first paid job?
0: My very, very first paid job was taking stock take. Like doing stock take in a supermarket.
1: Is that like inventory in yes, Canada? Sorry, inventory <laughs> sorry. We call it stuff. You don't go on stock tape. That's one of the things I love about you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So, d- sorry, doing stock take. Stock
0: tape, yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in a small country town. We had basically one large supermarket. It, we grew uh, a few more supermarkets, but when I was growing up, it was kind of one large one. And, you know, everyone knew everyone. And my mum was asked if I wanted to do it. And I, so I think I must have been... 13 or 14, maybe 14, if I wanted to do a stock take. And that's where they literally, like, close the shop for a day and you literally count every single thing in them. Yeah. So that was – but that was just like a – like it was just the stock take. Yeah. My first kind of casual paying job was a waitress at a Chinese restaurant.
1: Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's surprising for me. So what did you like about waitressing?
0: Probably the uh, getting Chinese food at the end of the <laughs> You know what, Sandy, I can tell you this story. The first night, so I think I literally just turned 15, or I was turning 15 that year, my birthday's late. And the first, night, the first night, I went home and I just cried to my mum and I said, I can't do it. It was just too stressful. It was too stressful for me taking the orders, getting it right, going back to the kitchen. And so my mum came with me the next day. Aww. And again, we knew the owner. Like I went to school with his daughter. <laughs> mum came with me the next day and just said, you know, she was a little bit stressed. and So I just had a little bit more training and, you know, within a month or two I was maitre d' like him uh, on, a, on one certain night a week. Yeah,
1: good um, for
0: you. So- Fun. I loved it. I loved just yeah seeing people enjoy their food, and I love we did a lot of weddings and stuff, so I loved that as well.
1: So, what did you learn from that job that you think maybe stuck with you?
0: Um, I learned to just to, to keep to keep going, you know, to keep going, and I think good organisation is the foundation. Get there early, make sure everything was set and ready, um, and then probably teamwork. To be honest. Like, we, we literally, most nights, had one person doing all the food and one person doing all the drinks. And the teamwork between each other and then the kitchen, it was, uh, yeah, it, I probably wasn't aware of it at the time. Um, but none of us went home until we could all go home kind That's of thing. Great, yeah. So, you know, when he wasn't busy in the bar, he'd come and help me in the with the food. If I wasn't busy with food, I'd help him with the, even though I was 15, see, so I couldn't really handle, I couldn't go behind the,
1: that I could kind of help serve wherever I could. So, so yeah. It was awesome. That's great. So aside from stock taking and waitressing, what would you say has been the, the role that you've had or the job that you had that really, that you really felt like you resonated with, that it was really the sort of the best job you've had?
0: Besides, like doing my current thing, you mean? Yeah. Besides tired? what you're doing now, right.
1: but yeah, in the past.
0: Yeah. So that would have to be my my work at the health service in England. Um, I went to university as a mature age student and I got my bachelor of science degree in health promotion. So I'm just that's just part of who I am in terms of promoting healthy lifestyle and health promotions around on the population health perspective. And I loved it. And all I wanted to do was work in a health promotion unit. And I moved to England right at the time where they were abolishing all health promotion units and it was just going, we were going into public health, which public health covers all from prevention to tertiary and, of course, what gets money most money spent on it? The tertiary, you know. Um, but I actually did, so during my time there, I did get to work in a health promotion unit and I loved it. I was a sexual health trainer.
1: Oh, oh I want to know more about that. <laughs> didn't know about that. No. Oh
0: my god, it was awesome. I just loved it. So it was all on the population health perspective, and so teenage pregnancy was pretty huge in England, and they weren't very proud of upholding the title of having the highest teenage pregnancy rate in Western Europe. Uh, so there was a lot of money that went into trying to prevent unintended teenage pregnancies. Worked with a teacher who was the into of the health department at the time, and we developed a sexual health train the trainer, trainer <laughs> kit. And we would train like youth workers and school nurses and regular health nurses and things on sexual health promotion.
1: Um, so is this like and... contraception? Yeah, is that contraception. Ba- basically, what yeah. It so was. I did some
0: family planning training in the university. It was fantastic. So I did all sorts of family planning training. Yeah, how to use condoms safely, um, how to get um, sexual health support, where to go, one-stop shops, so or on. I loved it. It was so good. Um, yeah. So, and so
1: I'm curious about that, yeah. so I'm just going to ask you some questions because yeah. I think that's a fascinating subject to be involved in. And there's lots of questions around whether education actually changes anything and, you know, whether you give people information if they actually change their behavior. So did you, was there a turnaround? Did, did there, were there results from that? Did, were there, is there lower teen pregnancies?
0: Mm. One of the things we were doing, so I was doing, I did that for a few years and then I moved to the the best job, which I loved, which was public health strategy manager. And I loved it because I was managing different strategies. So it wasn't just sexual health anymore. I was still sexual health lead. I was health promoting schools lead, so health promotion all in schools, childhood obesity. So I got to dabble in so many different projects and similar transferable skills. I will answer your question. Transferable, like working with partners, trying to come up and develop strategies on where people could work together to help improve the population health. And one of the things that we did is we learned a lot from the Netherlands, which had the lowest teenage pregnancy rate in Western Europe at the time. And the fundamental difference that they found was that young people in the Netherlands, just just the way their whole families are set up and and relationships and school is set up, they couldn't fathom giving your body to someone Hmm. unless you had truly committed to living a life with them. And it wasn't from a religious kind of perspective. It was from a... It's someone I love myself, I love my body. I'm not just giving this to anyone when I'm young.
1: Kind of sort of a self esteem. Yeah, it
0: really was Sandy. Um, and so, you know, a challenging area in England at the time was literally I remember going into a school with eight year olds and asking what they want to be when they grow up and, and some of them just say, I just want to have a baby. Wow. And it was because I want something to love, mm-hmm. and I want someone to love me. Right, right. So that's around family, not like that's family dynamics right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So um,
1: there's no condom that's going to change no no, that, right? <laughs> no,
0: no. And of course, I had to challenge with a lot of parents. Well, you tell them how to use a condom, then they're going to go and have sex. No, it was just about giving giving choice mm-hmm. and ensuring they understood number one, that they could say no, and that's why we talked about sex and relationships education like in junior school because that was all around, really, I mean, they call it SRE, sex and relationships education, but it really was around friendships, mm-hmm. It was around learning how to say no when you didn't want to play that game with the doll or the truck or whatever. It's really around understanding your boundaries and then that progressing through to your teenage years when – risk and potential and alcohol and all these things kind of come into your decision-making. It was quite fascinating that really aspiration and hopes and goals is the biggest contraception.
1: That's amazing. And that's what
0: we used to say at the time. If these kids can have aspirations for something more than, not that having a baby is is mm. negative, but more than having a baby at the age of 16, yeah. Then that's the con that is contraception. Um, you know what? I was so lucky at the time, Sandy. I just loved, loved, loved that job. I got to do a 10 day sexual health train the trainer, and that's when I really like it. Kind of smacked me in the face about sexual prejudice and assumptions, and because I was learning how to be a trainer of sexual health, and as a trainer, as you know, you have to create a safe environment for mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. So if I'm training around sexual health, then I have to create a safe environment for anyone, no matter your preferences. A bit like we did doing our leadership masters, like we were kind of smacked in the face with with every prejudice and every um, positive or negative thing that could go wrong and asked to be very self-aware of how we're, we're feeling about what we were hearing and how we would challenge the uh discrimination and things that may come up so yeah thanks for taking me down memory lane I loved working in that environment I loved working in just in the whole um health promotion public health sector that I was in at the time and I left because we moved to Canada yeah that was yeah loved it
1: well it sounds like there was a lot there that really prepared you for what you do now and that's a great segue into what do you do now because you know we talk a little bit about it on the podcast but i think it'd be great for people to hear uh, you talk specifically Mm. about your business and your work and and what you really love to do yeah
0: well at the end of the day i love to help people so i think that's been a
1: Theme right all the way through, yeah, right? from so, waitressing yeah. to really because the things that you loved was taking care of the people and making yeah. sure things were done smoothly. Though. Yeah,
0: yeah, I uh I like to help help people, and it's funny the health promotion. You know, I think I said we talked about career day in one of our podcasts, and I remember the health promotion person coming in, and I'm going, That's what I want to be, but I didn't get enough points to go to university <laughs> at the time because I was one of those uh sociable people in
1: school yes <laughs> we called them party girls <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> so I didn't get enough points didn't go to university but hey I, I still got some great work and great transferable life skills and then eventually did go to university for that so really quite funny how things kind of come around and of course part of my health promotion degree was learning about needs assessment community right. needs assessment right population-based needs assessment was learning about developing media programs. That's health promotion. Was learning about how to facilitate. Was learning about how to develop. I remember one of my first little contract jobs when I got my health promotion degree was developing a health and wellness program for a company.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's just fun. I love it because it's like things just go around. and so, so what do I do now? Well, I, I create training and programs and leadership development for individuals and organizations to help them achieve better performance individual performance or organizational performance to achieve positive results for their company however they define that whether that be better profits or i work with a lot of non-profits so whether that be producing and developing better programs for the community so the thread of kind of community needs assessments, so I'll do organisational needs assessments or individual needs assessment with individuals who want to develop their own personal development goals. Yeah, as I'm talking about, it's funny how it's all kind of threading through. But So what does that mean? It means I facilitate training, I love it, and I develop the training. So whether it be team building, uh, better communication, courageous conversations, decision-making, influencing, whatever... So based on the needs assessment of the team or the um, the group that I'm working with, also facilitate any planning as well, which is again what what I learned in my first degree planning program. It's like program management, but project management here means you know normally in construction and stuff. But it's the same thing. It's project management just on a different uh, topic. So um, you know whether it be. project or program management around team development or around leadership development so that's what I do and then I do one to one individual management or leadership coaching and so what's another thread is I love the variety yes see I had that variety in my in my very early days of my other careers and then in my health promotion work too because I wasn't just working on one thing I was working on many different topic areas but using the same skill set. So I love that. And I love I love creating dynamic and fun and engaging experiences for people, whether it be on a one-to-one level where they're having a lot of their own personal quiet individual aha moments and learning moments, and then implementing strategies for behavior change, or whether it be in a group setting. And of course, behavior change. <laughs>
1: Going on. But <laughs> no, that, it's good. Behavior it's great.
0: Change is it. Like I did it on a health promotion setting around healthy lifestyles, sexual health, whatever. It was all around behaviour change. And so I still do that, but just based on how you lead and, and carry yourself through in an organizational setting. Whether you lead projects or whether you lead people or whether you lead organizations, you're still leading. So I love it. Yeah.
1: So you, you talk about the themes. Through what you've done in your career i'm wondering what the themes are that you've seen in people in you know what are some of the common things that you see in people when they need to make changes in their lives is there anything that
0: mm. well there's fear mm-hmm. for sure and people are just scared to make that step and feel like they're stuck and um when you asked me what five words that would describe me, and the first one I said was courage, I didn't describe myself as being courageous. just felt like I made decisions, did what I did, and I always put my foot in my mouth, and I sometimes regretted what what I did or said. And it was actually during one of our learning sessions when we were at our Masters where, do you remember that circle where we had an outside circle and an inside circle? Yes, I do. And people were asked to go around and say one word, about the person who's standing in front of you. Just one, that's it, that that described them to you. The inside circle was the only one that moved, so people moved around, I think. And so I maybe had like 10, because we didn't all get a chance to contribute to everyone. I think I had like 10 people come, and five of them said
1: courage. Wow.
0: And that was my first reframe, I had always been told, "Be quiet, stop talking. you know, putting your foot in your mouth again." <laughs> and they said, "You have." They saw in me the courage that they didn't have, wow. or that they wished they had. So, and that's what they said: "You, you have courage. I wish I had courage to share what you share." And so, I've really embraced that word and gone, "Yeah, okay. It's scary." It's scary to take that step to change because you don't know what's going to happen, um, but it takes that inner deep courage and vulnerability. Um, so that's one thread. And the other one is, I mean, okay, so I did health promotion in Australia, in, in England, and and even here when I first came here, we all have challenges to get over our fears. Um, and the other one is, behavior. yeah, behaviour change is hard. Mm -hmm. behavior change is hard Um, so it's hard to have the persistence to practice especially as you get older right it's uh it's harder to do so whether it's on a health perspective or whether it's on a leadership development perspective and you're trying to practice um, a new leadership strategy well the only way you're gonna get better is to practice um and that takes getting feedback and so um so yeah, I think I think your question was about any common friend. Yeah,
1: that's, that's a great good. answer. I want to go back to the courage thing because mm-hmm. I think that's really key for you. And I want to ask you what you think people saw in you that what what character, what quality, or what was it that people saw in you that they define that as courageous behavior.
0: Well, I went back to some of them and said, tell me more, because we're always curious. <laughs> yeah. And a couple of them said, "You, in a class environment or even in a team or group environment, you have the courage to say what's on your mind or you have the courage to ask a question. You have the courage to say you don't know. Um, or, Or whether, I mean, they labelled it courage or they said, you say stuff that I feel I can't say. So I label it as, correct. like, you're more courageous than me because I'm too scared to say it. Right. So they saw that as a leadership quality because whilst they're sitting back thinking it, they may be too scared to say it.
1: And so you didn't actually say the name of your business, but the name oh, of your business right. yeah. is...
0: <laughs> yeah, that's why it's Courage to Lead. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Courage
0: to Lead. And so it means, and it. I mean, the more I got to think, it and I don't know I don't know if you were like this when you first started your business but I probably bought about 15 domain names. I bought 15 <laughs> domain names
1: this week
0: <laughs> The power to lead, power leadership and I was like oh my god courage to lead like because to me that is the basis I mean there's so many you know what does it take to be a good leader yeah it takes many tools and strategies and knowledge and skills. At the end of the day, you can have knowledge, but if you don't have the courage to implement it or to do something with it or to even be quiet when you need to be quiet, Mm -hmm. not say anything when you need to not say anything, then it doesn't, you know, all the knowledge is not going to mean anything. I mean, to me, leadership is about taking action. So if you don't have the courage to take that action, then you're not leading.
1: How did you develop courage?
0: That's a good question. I don't know. Growing up with a brother or (laughs) (laughs) Um, our family dynamics, having lots of neighbours who were guys who we just used to hang out and I had to step up or step away kind of thing. You know, I remember I probably shared this story early on in our podcast. My girlfriend and I at the age of 12 or 13 saying we wanted to play cricket and um, but there was no women's cricket in town, and my mum was very involved in the cricket because my brother was playing it. And mum said to me that you can't play cricket. There's no cricket. And I said, well, there's men's cricket. Is there anything in the rules that says I can't play in, in the boys, like the boys' junior cricket? <laughs> and she looked at the rules, and there wasn't anything. That they... <laughs> Girls can't play. So I guess I don't. I did. I mean, it takes that takes. Did you 13, play? Yeah, you my girlfriend play? and I. Oh, wow, good for you. Well, my brother hated it, but my girlfriend and I, like two thirteen-year-olds, deciding we wanted to play cricket, which was all boys. So I guess I must have had courage at that point to do something different. And I don't know if, if it's just if it's just pushing against the norm or the status quo, maybe. Um, or yeah, trying, trying new things out. Yeah, and that's what led me to start my business. I mean, I was scared. I thought I wasn't old enough. Didn't have enough experience. My hair's not as grey. I'm not a man. How can I do this? Yeah, you know? all of that went through. And
1: it's funny how we we all have the you know I'm not <laughs> old enough, and then you're like I'm too old. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when's the right age? Right. When is the exactly. right age? Exactly. I think age is funny like that. But you know, it we is. all have those voices in our head, and they change. Yeah. And like at some point, they they become. I'm too young. I'm too old. Or they yeah. they switch off like that. As a coach, I know that you have to deal with people and help them confront the voices in their head as well. And so for our listeners what's one thing that they can do to help combat or help offset those negative voices that they might hear that, that makes them feel limited mm. and not have courage to do something?
0: Mm. Well, one question to ask is what's the worst that could happen? And when I coach people now, if they, if they have to ask someone of something, the worst that could happen is they could say no. We might get a little bit bruised. Um, but have the the best that could happen. Who knows,
1: right? It could
0: have been so many doors. Um. So I think really kind of and write it down. Like, what's the worst that could happen, and write it down. And and if the worst that could happen is is your ego, maybe bruised a little, or you may feel a little bit ashamed, then reframe that into okay. Okay, so I could get Like I could get over that. Mm-hmm. What's the best that could happen? I think really if what they want to do is really grounded and rooted in, in their commitment or in their goal, that's what they should always go back to. Am I really committed in, in my goal? If I am, then this is a step I need to take. Behaviour change isn't easy and change isn't easy. So stepping out of a comfort zone is, is part of that. And what I love about that is just is the growth. You're always pushing that comfort zone away, right? Or oh, it's getting further and further out because you grow and yes, it's hard to do. Next time it might be a little less hard. We still have it. I still have my challenging mm-hmm. <laughs> times where I'm not courageous. I'm going through run right now where I go, okay. Like I feel like I know what the right decision is, but I'm a little. I think I said to you today when we're talking about something. I'm really scared about that. But yeah, try and try and work out what kind of level of fear or, or courage it is. And if there's no huge detrimental negative impact to you or people around you, then yeah, just yeah, kind of talk, talk yourself down. It's not it's not easy. Or talk with someone else, you know, get get someone else to talk to. What I find helps with me is an accountability partner, which is why I like I like having that. And I, well, it's funny, I like having that, but once I make up my mind, I'm pretty determined on some things yeah. too. So I I can kind of um, sway on on that, but. When I, it's more when I know I should do something, but I'm not quite convinced myself. That's where I need some of that extra support. So, um, But, yeah, get back to your commitment or get back to your goal. What? Get back to your why. Why are you doing it? And if the big goal is too hard, break it down. Mm-hmm. Break it down and go, what is one little step towards that that I can make today? And do I have courage to make that step? Do I have courage to call one person or to say no to one
1: person today? Right. So a word that I would use to describe you that you didn't use Mm -hmm. is disciplined. Right. I think you're a very disciplined person. And, you know, when you're talking about that, you know, setting a goal and working towards Mm -hmm. it and taking steps towards it, not everybody finds discipline easy. But you, well, I don't know if you find it easy. You just do it. So I, I'm just curious about that. Is that, were you always like that? Were you always a very disciplined person? Or is that something you've learned? And how did you learn it? Mm. Oh,
0: gosh. I think I like to be in action, Sandy. So it's funny. I can be very disciplined about some things and not so, dis- <laughs> like my website needs updating. A smart person would have updated it before this podcast. You know, Ed. Like right? I can be very right. disciplined about some things, and I think I'm even more disciplined. Maybe this is where the helping comes from. I'm even more disciplined when I'm involved in a team, and if I don't do it, I'm letting someone else down.
1: Right. So there's a responsibility part of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, a responsibility and and a commitment. And it's almost like, well, if I let myself down, that's not as bad as letting letting you down on something we've got to do for the podcast, or letting my other team down if I'm doing some some coaching and mentoring or something. So it's funny. I don't think of myself as disciplined, but I think of myself as taking action to get stuff done, right? And and that yeah, it 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 can be seen as disciplined. I'm certainly disciplined around my health and fitness and stuff. Absolutely. Um, but some work, I I like to be achieving things. I like achievement. I like learning. So if I'm learning and achieving, then at the end of the day, I can sit back and go, yeah, that was a good day. And so I used to say, I facilitated a lot of partnership meetings. In my time. <laughs> and you know what they can be like. Um. And I was always in that position because I was kind of the convener. Mm -hmm. So I was always in that position of I know these people have taken time away from their very important work to be here. So the last thing I want to do is waste their time. So there's got to be a reason for us coming together. I can do process because process is very important. It's Mm -hmm. not about how, you know, it's not about the end result sometimes. It's about how you got there. And so when you're working in partnership and collaboration, You're measuring both. You're measuring the end result. But often you're measuring the process on how you got there because that's a development in itself. (laughs) But I used to say, I can do process until I start getting impatient with process. (laughs) So I always was trying to balance that time to dialogue and discuss and grow and develop through that to the time, okay, we've got to take action now. Like we've got to make a decision and take action. And so I think, that's where I, I think that's where my discipline comes from. My need to always be taking action right. towards something. So I don't know if that's right.
1: No, that's great. What's your MBTI type?
0: ESTJ. ESTJ, okay.
1: Extrovert, surprise. <laughs> Sensing the J, I think, is what makes you impatient with process and want, you know, you want so tell to tell the listeners mm-hmm. what that. Yeah. I think. Do we do an episode on? We did. We did. So um, I'll just put a a little link in there so our listeners can go back and yeah. listen to that. But I think the the J is how you like to orient your external world. So yeah. it's like, and you like to have structure and closure and things yeah. wrapped up and. I like to, yeah. moving on. So maybe that's
0: where the discipline comes. Like yeah, there's got to be a close a close. And yeah, an end a tick. Yeah, got to be able to tick something off my list. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: I just want to tell you, we so for our listeners, Joanne and I are spending a couple of days doing some podcast recording, and we had a well, Joanne created actually an agenda for the the two days, which was just wonderful. But she doesn't know that I've already beat her to crossing out <laughs> everything we've done so You're far. Stalling, my <laughs> done it.
0: Don't worry, I'll go and uncross them and recross them.
1: them. <laughs> <laughs> I just went in there today, I was like, strike through, strike through, strike <laughs> through, because <laughs> I like to do that as well. you, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, what makes you laugh? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. What
0: makes me laugh? Yeah. Oh, gosh, that's a good question.
1: I know you like to laugh.
0: I do, yeah. yeah. I so, like to laugh. I don't know, what makes me laugh?
1: Is there a certain kind of humor? Is there...
0: I think it's dry humor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I don't like, it sounds weird, but like silly, pointless, like Mr. Bean and stuff, like I don't get that. Like that doesn't. (laughs) But, yeah, engaging with people, having a bit of fun, hearing people's stories, like that makes me laugh. Yeah. Sharing my stories, Yeah. Good.
1: What makes you cry?
0: Oh, pretty much anything. Really? To do with, (laughs) like, I... What did I cry? Oh, I was oh, I'm watching Offspring. For anyone who's watching Offspring on Netflix, I've developed empathy that now I cry and I put myself in everyone's situation. But, so yeah, I was watching Offspring and something very disastrous happened, and I was like crying for two or three days.
1: Oh wow! So
0: um, so any kind of soppy, sad, I think I put myself in that position. So if anyone's husband dies, I just think, oh my god, what if my husband dies? (laughs) Like it's weird.
1: No, that's that is empathy is great. Yeah. Okay, if you couldn't do the work you do anymore, if you had to change professions, what is something you'd like to try?
0: Well, and it's funny because as I've been teaching, I I mean, teaching in organizations, I also do some teaching in a college and that was another that was second on my list at school to be a teacher. (laughs)
1: there you go so who knows
0: isn't that funny but I thought of it the other day I was like oh could I go into teaching full time and I'm like no no I like I like the flexibility yeah but I like the flexibility so
1: okay so what is something that would surprise people about you
0: oh I appear um nude on the side of a flower delivery van in a small town in Australia
1: (laughs) I can't (laughs) I don't know if I can recover from that. (laughs) Okay, Okay. we have to hear the story.
0: (laughs) Let me put it in perspective now. You know the interflora? I'm, I'm actually standing up now and I'm going, you know the interflora man?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That? Yeah. That's what
0: I do. Oh, but hold on. My arm is here, so it covers my...
1: Your breast? My
0: breast and... Oh, no, no, my arm is here like that. I'm holding a bunch of flowers behind me and I'm running...
1: Were you really naked?
0: I had a yeah, thong on that. Yeah. They put makeup on, and then I had nothing on the top, but but I had I covered my. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to Google it now. So uh, I was working in a gym in Australia, and it was early uh, early two thousand and one, and this lady came in, and she said. I'm looking for someone with a fit body to do like pose semi-nude to be the interflora person so I can use my business cards and my, my van. And I was like, ah, oh, I've got the perfect person for you. And we had this beautiful fitness instructor and she just looked amazing. And, uh, so I told her when she was coming in to teach a class, so she came in, spoke to her, and she's like, oh, yeah, check with her husband. And I was like, no way, you're not doing that. it's a small country down, right? Like, no way, you're not doing that. And then she checked with another one. So by this time it's getting around the, the, the gym, right? Like, she's looking. For... And then she came up to me. She said, what, what about you? Like, you've got a great body. like, what about you? And I was like, oh. Oh, I, I don't know. And so I I called Ashley and I said, hey, what do you think? And he's like, hey, we're leaving town in three weeks. So <laughs>
1: That's Who, true. who
0: cares? Because we were literally moving to England. So um, and then she said, oh, okay, good. So come like in two days' time. Um, oh, by the way, there's going to be a firefighter who will also be there. <laughs> Semi-nude. We're gonna have two of you. It was so that's courage, I guess. It was so funny. She paid me in gift vouchers. So I had like the free run of flower delivery to my mum for the next few years. So I didn't see it because we left town and we've never gone back. So my girlfriend took photos. I have got photos. I oh, will get Can
1: to we now. put a photo in oh your God, newsletter? Brother. On our Instagram account, I I <laughs> we can put like a little bar across. <laughs> so, listeners,
0: that's what you didn't know about it. I am a model.
1: There I you go. Not model. just a model. <laughs> I've
0: been a model before in my life. It was funny.
1: Um, I love it. I think that's about it. Yeah. Well, that's, the, I can't <laughs> think of anything more surprising that you could possibly have shared with us. I love that. Okay, you asked me a couple questions at the end of our interview, and I'm going to end with a couple questions. I know you've done a lot of traveling. Mm -hmm. Is there anywhere you haven't been that you really want to go to? Greece. Greece?
0: Oh, actually, hold on, I want to change that.
1: Croatia. Okay, that's different. What about where in Croatia and why? We
0: were set to go to Croatia in 2005, and that was going to be our summer holiday. And then Ash got invited to... Canada for a job interview so instead of Croatia we came to Canada for a few weeks for his job interview so it's like gosh and we've lived in Canada now for 11 years 12 and we still haven't been to Croatia. so it's just like one of those places that I felt like we never got to go to and Greece was another one so mm-hmm. we went to every other country in or well, a place in every other country in certainly western yeah. yeah so just love it I mean the pictures the ocean. I mean, you know, just being
1: beautiful. That's great. Thank you. This was really a lot of fun to do. I know it's kind of awkward because we talk a lot on our program and it's you know it's we interview other people and it's hard to interview each other. But I I just want to tell you that you are a model of courage to me and I see that in you as well. And when I was looking for someone to start a podcast and I really had this idea and I asked a lot of people and a lot of people said, I really like to do it. But they had all kinds of reasons why they they couldn't do it or wouldn't do it. And when I asked you, you said, you know, yeah, you would you do it with me. And it took courage, it took courage for us to do that. And I remember our very first episode thinking, Oh, my gosh, what if like nobody listens to this? (laughs) Or why like that vulnerability that we felt, but did it together. We had the mm. relational support in it. And, you know, you weren't afraid and you, and together we, we did it and we pushed through that feeling of vulnerability and, And it was really good, so I'm really happy that we started this together, and I think it's good that our listeners get to hear a little bit more about you, and our social media feed this week will have more about you in it, so some of the questions we didn't get to, or I didn't think to ask you, we'll put a little bit more in there about you. And we'll have all your your stuff in our newsletter. If people aren't on our our list, they can do that at... uh, our website as well. So thank you.
0: Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.